I want to I want to tell you, I don't want to start with how bad things are, but I do want to talk today about some of the challenges that face or that Christianity faces. Some of the difficulty that Christianity faces. There was a French philosopher. It wasn't his name, but he he had a pen name, Voltaire. I can't pronounce his real name. It's too long. But Voltaire, who died in 1778. Everybody say that with me. 1778. He died in 1778, and he made this prediction. A hundred years from my death, the Bible will be a museum piece and no longer active in society. A hundred years after 1778. Well, guess what, Voltaire? His truth is marching on. His truth is marching on. Let me tell you some irony to Voltaire's story. A hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society set up his headquarters in the place that was Voltaire's home and began to distribute Bibles throughout France. I love that. I love that. There's some irony there. I want to begin today by telling you that we, the church, are in a battle. It is not a new battle. It is a battle (coughs) that has been raging since that. I guess that's one of the reasons why I just despise snakes so much. I get, it doesn't, I don't get offended easy. Do I get offended easy? I don't think I get offended easy. But when somebody comes up and says, oh, you're Pentecostal, you you mess with those snakes. Man, that offends me. I kill those things. Or I call Chris or Brock to come kill them. I don't like them. I don't want them to be around. But since that snake went in the garden to today, the enemy has worked, fought, plotted, and tried to pry every Christian away from their faith and try as he might. God's truth is marching on. It's marched throughout history and it's faced every imaginable obstacle and nothing, no, nothing has been able to stop the flow of the truth of God. This church, the first thing we're about is sharing the gospel. Why? Because His truth is marching on. His truth is marching on. His truth is marching on. Psalm 119. 89. 119 and 89. Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. And that's one thing we need to understand. When he speaks it, it is forever settled in heaven. The game of the enemy is to try to convince you that that's true for everybody except you. But when he says that he'll put his arms around you and draw you close, 
that he'll prepare a table in the midst of your enemies. He means it. And that word is forever settled in heaven because his truth is marching on. It has not been stopped by anything. Thy faithfulness is unto, oh, I love this. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. I don't mean to get political, but don't worry about global warming because this thing's going to last until he says it's not going to last. This is not going to be destroyed by man. I'm not saying it's not going to be destroyed because it will, but not by man. Man's not going to have a key in it. God's going to say when it happens and when it doesn't happen. And I'm telling you, His Word is forever settled. Verse 95, skipping down to verse 95. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I will look around. I've thought about just doing a book, a POJ book of testimonies where everybody gets to tell their story and we publish it. Because unless you really stop and think about it, you have no idea the stories. I pastor this church and I don't know all the stories in this room. You're a story of God's mercy and God's grace. No, not one of you, not one of us has lived a life worthy of just feeling what we felt one time today. But he keeps pouring out his blessings again and again and again. And I'm telling you, you are a story. You are what the psalmist was looking at when he looked around and said, Oh, I'll focus on his testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I've had this on my heart. Our senior staff at this church will tell you, it is a very rare thing for me to know on Thursday what I'll be preaching on Sunday. It really is. Brother Omri, during our staff meeting on Wednesday morning, didn't I know what I was preaching? Thank you, Lord. Help me get some sleep. I knew what God had laid on my heart. His truth. His truth is marching on. And it just reaffirmed in my mind our mission to share the gospel, to grow disciples, and to strengthen families. That's what we're about. If you're a guest here, that's what we do. That's what we're about. Sharing the gospel, growing disciples, and strengthening families. That's the goal. We want you to find your place to be ready to meet God, whether it's by way of the grave or whether it's by way of the rapture. We want everybody to be ready. Everybody to be ready. Because I know this, we all have a shot. Not because of us, but because His truth just keeps on piercing through our society that says it's not cool to serve God. You you realize our church is growing, but over 90% of the churches in the United States in the last five years have seen a decline in their attendance. But His truth 
is not going to be wavered by the winds of society. They're not going to dictate what happens in an apostolic church where the Spirit of God is free to move because His truth is marching on. It will not be stopped. The song that I've been quoting the title of, or not the title, but the, the last line in every verse of the song um, was written by Julia Ward Howe. Julia went to Washington, D.C. in 1861, and she was there, and they had, they had built a camp around the area because they were in battle and they were expecting the enemy. And she saw, looking out over a field, she saw hundreds of tents. And it was dark. The dark of night surrounded her. But the way she saw those tents is that inside each one, there was a lantern or a, or a, a light that was inside those tents. Not a lantern. They didn't have lanterns then. But they had, a, I guess, a fire or a torch or something inside the tent that lit the tent up. And she looked out across that thing and she began to write down these words. I have seen him in the watchfires, a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His truth is marching on. I have read a fiery gospel writ in burnished rows of steel. As ye deal with my contemners, I don't even know what that is. So with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of women crush the serpent with the heel. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. His truth is marching on. And down through history, with event after event after event, it becomes evident after a while, you would think that his people that would waver back and forth would somehow look at history and say, I have got to serve God. I must serve God. I love that, that song that we sang. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one, but, but the one that was saying him, there's nobody like you. That, that's one of my, I, I talk about it. I preach about it. I pray it almost every time I pray. Somewhere in my prayer, I'm telling him, there is nobody like you. Why? Because he deserves to hear his servant say to the master, there is nobody like you. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I was planning on being an engineer when I was young. First, let me tell you, I've heard, I've heard preachers talk about all the things they were going to do before God called them to the ministry. They were going to do this, and they were going to do that, and they were going to rule the world, and they were going to own the world, and, and they were going to be such mighty men, but God called them to the ministry and changed their plans. Let me tell you, I didn't take a step back when God called me to preach. I didn't take a step back when He said, would you be my faithful servant and declare my word? How awesome it would be to be the president or own, own a football team. I used to want to play on a football team. Now I just want to own one. <laughs> How awesome it would be. To, I wouldn't trade any of those things for my call to the ministry and represent that God that is so good that there is nobody like Him. 
from the beginning of time until now. His truth has not stopped. His truth has not wavered. Oh, hear me. His truth has not changed one bit. His plan from the beginning in the Old Testament law to the new covenant, His truth remains the same. And the world may change everything. We may become so unpopular that they push us out of society. It happened to the New Testament church and it might happen to us, but I'm telling you, He'll always have a remnant that says, I'm going to walk with you because your truth is marching on. And we have to keep in mind that when we see the enemy come against us, who the enemy is. If someone hurts you, if someone's been less than pleasant with you, if someone's intentionally tried to bring you or your family harm, let me tell you what the word says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you want to look that up, if somebody's hurt you, go read Ephesians 6 and 12 and say, my, my, my beef is not with them. Somebody hurts me. The only way to live a forgiving life is to understand who your enemy really is. Somebody's hurt you. They're not your enemy. Satan may have used them. He may have got into their life and used them, but the plan to bring harm to your life comes from Satan, nobody else. And so if you walk through life like that, you can just brush things off and you can say, I, I know, I know you think you tried to hurt me, but you, you didn't really try to hurt me. There's some, you don't have to tell them that. They might not understand it. Uh, you're possessed with the devil. I know. Now that, that won't win you any friends. But if you know that, you can just brush it aside. It's not them. It's that spirit that, that might be on them. It's that spirit that might be working in their life. And so as I, as I minister today, as I share what God has laid on my heart, I want to be clear. I represent no political party because I've grown to distrust all political parties. I haven't always been like that, but today I am. I'm not representing a political party. I'm not tearing one down or building one up. I'm not representing politicians. I'm not representing philosophies out in the world. I just want to talk about him and his truth. And I want to share with you throughout history what his truth has overcome. And when you leave today, I hope you can acknowledge that if His truth can overcome all of that, His truth can overcome whatever exists in your life. Whatever is going on in your life. Let me pick one story. I could go and almost pick anybody in the room. But let me, I won't get into too many personal details, but Craig, come here. Saw you dancing around up there on that guitar. You and Josh both got my word last week. Thank you. So I, I, I want to tell you, this young man is married to Terrica. There's challenges there. <laughs> married to Terrica. He's had, he's had problems that have come against him from the church, from people who represent the church, 
He's had significant problems. He's, he's, got, he's got a family story a little bit like mine. He, he's, he's had significant problems, and the enemy has attacked his family. And I see him up there on that guitar. I like it better when he's standing right here because I imagine myself jumping with my feet about that high off the ground. I don't know how he does it. You practice that? No? But I want to tell you what's going on in Craig's life. God's truth is marching on. Not slowing down. Not wavered from one direction to the other. He's standing on the rock, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, and His truth is marching on. I could go and pick person after person after person after person that has had things come in your life that would give you in your own mind right to quit and walk away from God. But somehow, God continues to lift you up and build you. And His truth is marching on in your life and your life and your life. It's marching on and it is not slowing down. Man. Bradley, how old were you 12 years ago? You don't mind me asking. 11 years old. I can't believe that. 14. 14 years old. I thought, man, he was 11 running sound. That was pretty impressive. 14 is still impressive. Math is not his thing. Uh, so, so Bradley... I want to make a confession to you in front of everybody. I did not know if 12 years after I met you, you would still be serving God. You had obstacles come against you in life. You had had things that happened in family. You had things that happened in, in your mind. You just, you just, Wanted, you wanted to get on the road and go somewhere. You didn't really care where it was. You just wanted to go. And he spent many of those formidable years, instead of in the sanctuary, out of the sanctuary. Bradley is one of the reasons I, I had him build that sound booth. I started to say I built that, but it wouldn't look like that if I built it. Because he'd, he'd been doing his video and he'd been out of the room. And I wanted, I wanted everybody that was working in the room. I didn't, I didn't know. There was so much against you. And you're not out of the woods. There's still things against you. But 12 years after I met you, it is amazing to me. Your story is incredible because God's truth just keeps marching on. It just keeps moving forward. And I could go on, and I won't, I won't pick on anybody else, so you don't have to be nervous now. I, I'm, I'm done. I started to get Lane and Donelda, but I'll leave them alone. But I haven't preached. I preach more to them than you. I don't know if y'all are just better people or what. But I, I, for some reason, I, I keep going right. Uh, I spend a lot of time over there. But I, I, want, I want everybody in this room to, to get this. From, from the time that that snake came in, And God cast the first Adam out of the garden to every significant and major event where you would think the truth would stop. I'm going to flood the whole world. The whole world will be covered in water 
It will rain and fountains from the deep will open up for 40 days and 40 nights. And the water will be above every mountain, every tree, every hill. The water will be higher than it all. But God had one man that was peculiar and separated from his society. And that man heard the voice of God and said, I'll find my place, God. I'll do what you've called me to do. And so he gets the lumber. I imagine when the first, first few ox came over the hill with the lumber that he had, had procured, I imagine that evening at dinner, his wife had a few questions for him. You're going to do what? You're going to build what? You're going to build it where? I can't help it, sweetheart. I can't help it. This is what God told me to do. You know what God was doing? He was ensuring that even though we had a worldwide flood, that His truth was marching on. His truth was going forward. It was God planning and preparing for what would happen in the future. So He sent a flood to purge the sin from the world, but His truth persevered. They all got together later. A new generation had formed and they all got together and they built the first skyscraper. I wish we knew how tall it was. We, we don't really have any, any indication as to how tall it was other than it reached the heavens. I've thought about Paul. If I could bring Paul here, I would love to just talk with him showing the church, drive around. He didn't have a building to preach in. People didn't come and gather because they were persecuted. And so they didn't, they didn't all pile into a building on Sunday morning. Even on a holiday weekend, you guys look great. They, they, didn't, they didn't come and, in a church building. I would love to just walk Paul around the room. This is our conference room. This is our fellowship hall. Look at the kitchen. We've, we've got an awesome kitchen. Look at these. Paul, what do you think about these projectors? Aren't they cool? And take Paul on an airplane. I'd love to get him on an airplane and say, what do you think about this? I have a feeling his words to me would sound something like this. You have all this and you haven't reached the world yet? I walked everywhere I went. If I was lucky, I rode a horse and I spent many, many nights in the open sea. I didn't have food. I didn't have clothes sometimes. I was beaten with rods. I was shipwrecked three times. And, and you have all of this. You drive your car to the parking lot that's almost full out there. And, and you walk into the building and you've got air conditioning. I know air conditioning's struggling this morning. But you've got air conditioning. You've got musicians. You've got, song, you've got a sound system. You've got this cool microphone you can wear. I just think Paul would be, he would be amazed with what we had. But he would wonder how we're using it. He would wonder how good we're using it. So they were, they were not just Paul. They were beaten and shipwrecked. Almost all of them gave their life for the gospel. Why? Because there was something welling up inside of them that said, His truth, His truth is marching on. 
when it came time for his life to end, they said, we're going to kill you just like we killed Jesus. And he said, I'm not worthy. Imagine, would you, would you just hang me upside down? Because I'm not worthy to die like he died. What are you saying? I'm saying you're going to see my testimony even in my death. You're going to see the gospel of Jesus Christ even as I hang on that cross and die. You're going to see it. Why would you, why would you be concerned about that? Because His truth is marching on. John the Revelator, I, I, I don't know what was going through John's mind when God began to give him the revelation. By the way, it's not, it's not many revelations. God gave John one revelation. He gave him a revelation and he, he poured it out. But do you know what that revelation cost him? They said it's time to end his life. It's time for us to take his life. And so they heated up a vat of oil, a huge vat of oil, to the point that the oil was boiling. And they said, come here, John, we've got something for you. You're done. And they dropped him in the vat of oil. I can't imagine what that did to his skin and to his body. But he didn't die. Why? Why didn't John die in that vat of oil? Because his truth is marching on. So John the Revelator survived the boiling oil. And they said, well, I don't know if we can kill you or not. So they banished him to an island where there was lawlessness. It, it was their prison. It's where they took people that they couldn't control, that didn't belong in society, and they put them on the Isle of Patmos. And they take the ship and they head out to the island and they drop John off. And there he is in probably the most dangerous neighborhood in the world. But the Lord's day was coming. And instead of crying that, well, this is so bad. God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you doing anything? Because John, as painful as it is, I've got a specific job for you. When the kingdom becomes more than, than us, we'll stop praying, God, bless me. God, give me. God, take care of me. God, do this for me. We'll stop praying that way. And we'll start praying like this. Thy will be done. You just let me be a part of what you're doing, God, because I know that your truth is marching on. You just let me be a tiny part. I don't have to be the superstar. I don't have to be the one in charge. I don't have to have all of my health. I don't have to have all of my finances. I don't have to have all of that. But God, if you'll just let me be a part of the kingdom. David said, take my throne, take my crown, take my robe, take it all. But whatever you do, take not thy presence from me. David said the most important thing for him wasn't that, that position of kingship. The most important thing for him was to be with him. Because he understood no matter what we fight, no matter what we endure, no matter what we deal with, his truth is marching on. And so Sunday's coming. He's banished to the Isle of Patmos. He's there. 
And all of a sudden, I don't know how he got in the Spirit. It seems hard to get in the Spirit when you're hurting. But if your spirit is right, it seems easier. Chris has told me stories, and I I met him a couple of times, but he was very sick before I moved to Jonesboro, so I didn't get a chance to know him. But it made such an impression on on the, I'll say right now, the most effective soul winner and Bible study teacher that we have in our assembly. Anthony Brown rubbed off on Chris. Anthony Anthony Brown was very, very sick. He had cancer, Chris. He had cancer. Very, very sick. And he comes in this house, and Chris has told me stories. How many of you knew Anthony Brown? A lot of you. A lot of you. He's told me stories about how Anthony worshipped even when he was sick. He'd have to sit down on the front pew. How could someone do that? How, how, can, how can Micah talk about how good God is? The goodness of God. When she's fighting, she does her best. She told me a few weeks ago, she said, I had a pretty tough week. But you couldn't tell it when she walked in this house. You couldn't tell it when she began to raise her hand over there in the corner and magnify her great God. Why? Because she knows that His truth is marching on and she wants to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. When they ventured into the unknown and got overtaken, His truth marched on. When Joseph found himself, I don't know what hurt worse, being thrown in the pit, being sold into slavery, or having it done by your brothers. It's amazing that he didn't get bitter. See, most of us, when somebody hurts us, we get bitter about it. His brothers sold him. Craig, how would you like that? For Sean to to call you and say, hey, Craig, uh, a taxi is going to come by and pick you up this evening. I'm sorry, Sarah, but I sold Craig. He's going to be working at a restaurant in New York City, and that's all he's going to be doing. I made a lot of money off of him. How, how angry you would, you would be if that were possible and someone did it. They took control of your life. But Joseph said, I just want to be what he wants me to be. I just want to be when he was in jail. The baker, the baker's life was taken. The butler returned back. And, and you have to understand, the butler can come back from prison and go back to the palace and, and serve in his role. The baker would never be allowed back in prison because if you're preparing food for the king and the king throws you in prison, you're never coming back. You're not fixing his lunch. Through all of that, the leader of the nation finds out who he is and what he knows, and he has a dream. You know, God gave him that dream. God had a plan. God gave him that dream. And when God gave him that dream, and Joseph and Potiphar connected, and they had a connection. You see, at one point, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph 
of trying to, trying to do some funny business with his wife. That's the most palatable way I can say it. And Potiphar did not believe his wife. He, he believed Joseph. Do you know how I know that? Because if Potiphar believed his wife, Joseph would have died at that moment. There would have been no investigation. There would have been no questions. There would have just been a spot on the floor where Joseph used to be. But his truth was tied up in his servant. And before it was over, before it was over, the people would see that with even with great oppression, his truth, his truth, banished as prisoners and servants of the Egyptians. God went to one man and said, you're my man. And the first thing Moses did was this. Lord, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? I can't talk. Out of respect, I won't attempt to recreate it, but he had a stutter. He had a problem with his speech. And he said, Lord, I'm slow of speech. I I, I can't walk into that place and point my finger at the king and say, let God's people go. But you see, truth was tied up in him finding his place. And before it was over, he was standing there toe to toe with a very evil man. And he pointed his finger and said, God said, let his people go. Nothing happened until the first plague, the second plague, the lice and the flies and the frogs, the darkness. Nothing happened until the first morning when someone woke woke up in Egypt and said, our son is gone. And the next person woke up and the next person woke up and the next person woke up. You see, not not even a tyrant leader can stop this truth. It cannot be stopped. Pharaoh got mad, chased them all the way to the Red Sea. They were trapped. Moses said, I don't know what to do. He held his rod out over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They went over to the other side. When they got to the other side, they turned around. They said, look, man, they're still coming after us. What do I do? He took his staff and he put it out over the Red Sea again. And the waters came in. And listen, not a single Egyptian in the army that was chasing them, not one. The Bible says all of them perished in the sea. One day, every enemy that you have will be cast into outer darkness. One day, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the spirit. One day, every depression, one day, every sickness, one day, every disease, one day, every anxiety, one day, 
every fear will be cast into outer darkness and it will be gone and His truth will stand forever. Forever. It just keeps marching on. If you'll stand with me, I want to tell you the, the second greatest thing that transpired. The second greatest thing that transpires was when God robed Himself in flesh and became man. He became man for you. He, became, he left majesty and went to a little barn and was born like an animal. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And they came to take Him. I'm going to read the Scripture to you in a moment. We'll go back to that. But that was the second greatest thing. The greatest thing is when He died at Calvary. They put Him in the tomb. And for three days, He was there. But hear me. The stone that was in front of the door of that grave was a pebble to the rock of ages. It was nothing for him to get up and get out. And it was part of his plan to take the gospel to you, to share the gospel with you. I read this and I was amazed by it. Because even though I've thought throughout my ministry, I've thought, well, God, God said He could have called angels and, and they would come and get Him. That He didn't really die because they killed Him. He died because He gave Himself. And then I read this, and I want to share it with you. It's found in John chapter 18 and verse 4. Jesus, therefore... I like this part. Knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Who are you looking for? What do you want? He's in the garden after his prayer meeting. He's there and, and he says, What do you want? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, before I read this to you, I want you don't have to get your Bible out now, but I want you to go home and read John chapter 18 and verse 5. In the King James Version, when they translated the Bible to the King James Version, because of the language difference, there were words that had to be added to cause the sentence to make sense. And so the way that you know that in the King James Version the words that were added to, to make the sentence complete were italicized. If you see something italicized, that was added by the translators to help us understand it. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, I am He. But you gotta, you gotta take, take it like this. He is italicized. When they said, we seek Jesus, you see, God, God told them before Abraham was, I am. 
And here's Jesus standing with people that are going to take him to Calvary. And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus looks at them and says, I am. And if you read the rest of that little verse, and into verse 6, And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as then he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. As soon as he declared, I am the end from the beginning. I am the first and the last. I am the almighty God and beside me there is no other. As soon as he said it, they stepped backward and fell down. And the men that were going to take Jesus to Calvary, I can see it. As Jesus picks one up and says, oh, it appears you've stumbled upon my power. It appears you've stumbled with the words that I said. But you see, they were, they were people who knew what he said. He wasn't answering a question. He was declaring who he was. He wasn't identifying himself as the man they were looking for. He was identifying himself as the one that sat on the throne in heaven. I am. And he was declaring to everyone that would care to dig in and listen. Even my death will not stop my truth. Because it is forever settled in heaven. On this holiday weekend, I would like for us to come and gather around this front and take just a few moments and say, God, I want you to show me my place in 